and welcome to our third episode of the Endeavor U podcast. Once again, I am Jason Breitkopf. I'm your host. And with me today is Christy Davin. Hello. And we're going to be talking about uh, one of my favorite topics and something I hope will be a regular segment on the podcast, which is you can't get a job with that major. And so we're starting off with that right now. Uh, Christy, uh, before we begin with our topic at hand, please tell me a little bit about yourself. All right. Uh, I am Christy Davin. I am Senior Director of Marketing and Operations here at Chiton. Um, I have a background in education and a background in the corporate world, and the two of them sort of wrapped together to bring me full circle back into uh, the corporate side of an education business, I guess is how you would put it. Um, I have a, an English degree from Denison University. And I have a bachelor's, excuse me, and I have a master's in education from Leslie College. So for our uh, listeners and viewers at home who are not familiar, uh, where is Denison? Denison is in Ohio, a very small town called Granville. It was founded by a New England guy, so it was very New Englandy town, little college on a hill with the chapels and the ivy and all of that. Um, I actually was lucky enough to fit very well there, although I uh, I didn't actually see it before I accepted. I, I'm actually not surprised I did the same thing with the school I went to. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so it was um, it was one that I, I, I wanted to go to the family alma mater. Um, the family alma mater did not work out for me, which ended up a blessing in disguise, because I would have been my big brother's little sister mm-hmm. at my family alma mater. And where was that? Bowdoin. Bowdoin was a great school, and it was the one I had seen um, through tours and everything, and it became the benchmark for me, the the uh, the model to beat. And I did go on a bunch of tours, but nothing ever nothing ever seemed Bowdoin-y enough. Does that make sense? No, it, I don't. Um, so, uh, but I, I didn't get into Bowdoin. I, I didn't apply myself well, really, as a, as a student, so... Um, the college actually wrote, the dean wrote me a letter because my family had a great relationship with the college and recommended a gap year program, something like that, so that we could get me into Bowdoin the second year. Mm. Uh, so I accepted at Denison and it turned out it was a perfect fit for me. I loved the environment because it felt, once I got there, it felt Bowdoin y wasn't the word anymore. It was like, it just felt like home. It was, mm. And I met my best friend in the world, who's still my best friend in the world. I met her on the third day of freshman year. And it was just one of those things that just made it home for me. And we made it ours. I understand. Funnily enough, I actually have a very similar story. Yeah. Um, My dad, my mom, my uncle, my grandfather, pretty much everybody in my family went to Rutgers University in one form or another. And uh, Rutgers is in New Brunswick, New Jersey. It's the State University of New Jersey. Um, formerly an Ivy League school, but it got kicked out in 1955 when it became a private, went from a private to a public university. Oh. Yes. Can't, can't be a public university in the Ivy Leagues, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, so everybody went to Rutgers, and when it came time, I had no interest in it. Uh, and I applied just because that was the family tradition. And I actually also got turned down by Rutgers. And not the president, no one in particular wrote the letter, but I got a letter uh, as part of my rejection saying, basically, we know you're not going to go here, so we're not going to waste a spot on you, even though you're qualified. Ouch. Which was I was fine with, because I got into the school of my choice, and, okay. I, and I went to uh, Brandeis University uh, in Waltham, Massachusetts, which was the perfect place for me. And again, a place that felt like home. I loved 
uh, Brandeis, mm -hmm. uh, to the point where I am not shy or embarrassed to admit that on graduation day, at the graduation ceremony, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and I were like weeping, bawling, because we didn't want to leave. Yeah, I, did. I went through that as well, but part of that was saying goodbye to my best friend in the whole world, who mm -hmm. lives in Arizona. Luckily for me, I didn't have to do that, because I married her. You did. Yes. 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 So, um... <laughs> Okay, so back to our topic at hand. Yes. Um, so Denison, I didn't, I, it may be like this for you as well, undergraduate. They just assign you an academic advisor randomly because they don't really know what you're going to major in yet, right? right? So my academic advisor was the dance department head. And as I said to Nikhil earlier, I said, you may not know this about looking at me, not a dancer. Not. Oh. I can't run and I can't dance. Um, just not built that way. So she was lovely um, and a very nice person, but I switched majors sophomore year to English. And um, I'm not sure if I'm the one who's supposed to be steering us in this direction, but uh, English became my major because it was something I was good at. Okay. It was something that I knew that I could get good grades at, um, at which I could get good grades. Uh, that's ironic that I had to change. <laughs> Fix my grammar. Um, I could do well as an English major without a lot of extra effort. And I didn't know exactly what that was going to lead me to. You know, you don't become an English major to get a job in English when you graduate. You know, it's right. not like a biology major or a chemistry major or um, communications major, something like that. Right. But uh, I found that it was something that I could enjoy. At Denison, they had a great English department with really interesting classes, not only on the structure and history of the language itself, but also on literature like Native American women writers and risen and fallen women in fiction. Mm -hmm. And um, they have really great uh, professors who made it engaging and, and were wonderful in helping you sort of apply it to you know your life and your world and write about it and analyze it. And it was also a great way to get to know your classmates because you would get into these really deep conversations. And um, we'll always remember Richard Krauss, who was one of my professors, who was my teacher for both creative writing and narrative writing. He was the one who always taught me that if you're going to use a gun in scene three, you got to introduce the fact that the gun exists in scene one. Mm, Chekhov's um, gun. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, it was a fascinating time for me. But I didn't worry too much about how it was going to apply after graduation. My father who was very successful in the finance world, um, went to Bowdoin, and he was a German major. Mm. And he said, you know, I didn't, I took German because I enjoyed it, because I knew I could be good at it and get good grades at it, and um, I didn't really worry about how to apply it after graduation. Now that was in the 60s, I mm. guess, and he didn't, it, it, it was different then. Um, Back then, you dressed in your best suit, and you had your resume in your hand, and you went knocking on a bunch of doors, and you introduced yourself in person. And you had the benefit of that personal interaction right away. And nowadays, it's, it, it's a little bit different. Um, as a hiring manager, I'm learning that the cover letter becomes very important because you don't have that personal interaction right away. You have to impress them and introduce yourself with the written word. And so not only does the English major come into play that way, but it also shows um, the need for uh, explaining the relevance of your education and experience. So my father didn't have to explain how his 
degree in German could be relevant to his finance job. He could use his personality and exactly. his likability to impress someone and get into a field. Exactly. That way, because that was the 60s. Right. That whole madman sort of exactly. environment. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So while it's clearly true that using the English major to write the cover letter and express yourself uh, in a way that a hiring manager would take note of you is important, that doesn't necessarily explain how you went from English major to hiring manager. So tell us a little bit That's more about your, your, your journey. Sure. Okay. So um, after declaring as an English major, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, Denison did not have the teach, well, they did have a teaching department, but it was not uh, something that I could get certified for there. There was still the practicum, the student teaching that needed to be done and everything. So after graduation, I went right into uh, graduate school uh, at Leslie College, Leslie University, excuse me. And um, I had one of those harrowing years where I did my student teaching took six hours of classes a day and worked part-time as a waitress so that I could sort of, you know, con contribute. I moved back with my family for the year and consolidated the entire thing. The regulations for a teaching degree have changed a little bit, but um, at the time I could get the master's in 14 months. So there was that one harrowing year where doing all of that, it was totally worth it, you know, one year of crazy. And then I had my master's. Um, the problem with the masters at that time, which was the mid-90s, is that there were no teaching jobs mm -hmm. to be had. I did what my father would have done, or in Mad Men, I put on my best suit and I took a pile of resumes and I visited school after school after school and tried to let my personality speak for me when my resume hadn't, unfortunately, nothing really unique about it. I got good grades in college, I had a master's. But there was nothing about me. I wasn't bilingual. I didn't have a specialization like um, special needs or anything like that. So I had a really hard time getting in the door at a school. And so the practical aspects of that situation meant that I needed to go get a job. Mm. It wasn't the job that I thought I wanted right then. And I want to stress that thought I wanted right then. But um, I got a job. And I did multiple jobs at that time. I worked with learning disabled college kids at Mount Ida College while I worked part-time as an office manager. And then I moved into other jobs. I've had part-time jobs as accounts payable um, at a car dealership. I have done lots of different things. And the beauty of that, about having to take a job, even if it wasn't what you thought was the job, is that I learned what I actually liked that was not immediately what I thought I wanted to do. Mm. I thought I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. My dream was to be a third grade teacher, fourth grade teacher. Um, but all of these other experiences taught me a little bit about other skills that I had. So um, those part-time ones were fine while I had an apartment and uh, fewer expenses, but eventually you want to buy a house, you want to get married. So I found a full-time job in marketing. Um, in food service industry, actually. So working with companies like Tyson and McCain, getting food to restaurants, and I was the marketing manager. So I dealt with trade shows and communications and flyers and um, marketing programs, that kind of thing. And I was actually in the food business for 16 years. Ooh. 
And um, <clears throat> by that, by the time that was done, I was a national communications manager for a national company instead of a marketing manager for a small local company. And I learned a lot about things like branding and communications. And um, I found the more that I spent time in the corporate world, the more I learned that my English, that my, my skills with the English language were really valuable because um, I'm learning more and more. Unfortunately, the people do not know how to properly communicate. Uh, grammar and things like apostrophes, things like effective use of, um, of action words. You know, there's, when I drive home, there's this place that um, does windows, uh, window repair. Mm. And, that's what, and their sign says, we do window repair. And I want to go in there and say, no, you repair windows. And it's just effective writing in that way, being able to get your message across as simply and as effectively as possible so that you're not repeating the same action word over and over again. This is a lesson that we all learn when we write our resume. You don't want to use the same action word time and time again. Right. And it's the same thing in a paragraph. So anyway, um, the corporate world needed that from me. They needed my CEO of this multi-million dollar, 36,000 employee company still couldn't write a proper letter. He couldn't write his annual, his annual speech. He couldn't write those things. And so I became a valuable resource for them with um, what he wanted to say, whether it was in writing or even on you know, an annual town hall meetings, with, which we would do via podcast or via um, like Skype kind of thing, mm -hmm. because 36,000 people all over the country. And he would come to me, and I would be his voice. I was his ghostwriter. I was, um, I was his resource. And that was great, except I didn't. I found out one more thing about myself was that I didn't want to work for a giant corporation. Mm. I didn't like being a numerical number, you know, a numerical employee known by that number. I wanted to be Christy. I wanted to be somebody who was part of a smaller, um, more entrepreneurial spirit. And so I uh, found this opportunity with Chaitin. So now I have the opportunity to work with people like yourself, people like Nikhil and all these other educators who are passionate, really love what they do, want the kids to be successful, want the kids to understand what that means and the opportunities that are available to them. And they want to see um, students own the opportunities, you know, and I don't want to speak for you, but when I graduated from high school, college was an assumption, and it was, it doesn't really matter where you go, but you got to go. Right. And I don't really care what you do when you get there, but you got to go. And um, I think that one of the things that we're trying to do here is to help kids understand that there is that opportunity, and that it is an opportunity. It's not just the right. next thing on the checklist. Right. I know what you mean. Um, one of the big things that I like to talk about with my students is finding the right place for yourself, but also finding the right uh, place with yourself within a school. Uh, like you said, uh, and what the advice your dad gave uh, was great. You know, study what you love, you're going to find your place anyway. Uh, I actually had very different advice from my dad. Um, and if you don't mind my telling the no, story. No, please. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, my dad walked up to me one day and he said, I've got it all worked out. I've got it all planned out. You're all set. I just got off the phone with my buddy, Maddie. And it turns out his buddy, Maddie, was a friend of his from uh, law school who also happened to be uh, the Honorable Matthew Ronaldo, congressman 
uh, for our district, for the United States congressman for the state of New Jersey. Uh, they just happened to be friends, uh, and he was going to get a letter from him, and they, they were going to send me to West Point. <laughs> me. You know, with the marching and the, and the uniforms, and uh, I looked at him, I was like, what? Was your dad a military man? Uh, he had volunteered to serve in World War II. He was a World War II vet. Okay. Honorably discharged, highly decorated uh, bomber pilot. Very proud of his service. Um, and uh, but he did not was not a career military man. But he had decided that that was the best way for me to achieve his goals for me, which was to uh, go to college for free because West Point, like most uh, military academies in the United States, are, is free. And then they will send you to law school for free. They'll pay for it. Uh, at least that they did at the time in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and then you owe them six minimum six years of service. And, of course, since you're an officer and a lawyer, that would keep me out of the trenches, not carrying a rifle through some uh, country with jungle or, or desert, uh, which is my dad wanted me to avoid. That's why he volunteered instead of getting drafted for World War II because he wanted to avoid crawling through mud. You know, it's, Even though he got uh, two Purple Hearts, he still found flying a, a bomber plane slowly over Germany safer than crawling through mud. Um, and then after that, I would then, uh, he knew exactly which judges I was going to apply to to get uh, clerkships, which states I was going to take the bar in, uh, when I was going to be a, a judge. Uh, and he had it all planned out. Uh, the only problem was I didn't want to do any of that. Uh, I was interested in uh, something completely different. And when I went to college, uh, I took a major that is universally acknowledged even more useless than an English major. I did a theater major. I also double majored in history, which also is not a major that's designed to get you a job. Unless you want to be a history teacher. Unless you want to be a history teacher, or try and go through the, the trouble of getting a, a PhD in being a history scholar, which is even a smaller field. Um, and he was okay with the history major and the theater major at first because for him, those were still paths to pre-law. Like his idea was, even with those majors, I could be a trial lawyer. Okay. You know, the theater would be helpful that okay. way. And he had this hope, this dream for me. That I love how he adapted your goals into the eventuality of reaching his own for you, though. Very supportive the whole way. Came wow. to see every play I uh, acted in or, or directed in college. Um, and when I graduated, I surprised everybody, including myself, <coughs> by getting a job in theater right out of undergrad, which is weird because, again, it's a major you're not supposed to really get a job. Uh, it, with that major, and I got a job in the student life department at a community college where I worked in student life uh, and taught a class a semester and then worked with the uh, performing arts community on campus to produce and direct plays. So that turned into, uh, through a roundabout way, a, a career in teaching math. That's what I ended up, that's what I technically am right now. I'm a, I'm a certified math teacher. Um, and it was that following that theater job and, and, and teaching jobs in theater that led me to a place that was uh, a company that in Los Angeles was a subcontractor with the Los Angeles Unified School District where they supplied teachers for a school district that didn't have the funds to, play, to pay the benefits for teachers, for new teachers. So instead of hiring new teachers as real full-time teachers, they subcontracted with companies like the one I worked for who provided uh, Teachers and I had gone in to be an English or a, a history teacher, and they made me take a test, and I actually scored over the threshold for math. And they said, "Okay, you're teaching algebra and geometry, starting in two weeks. Relearn it." No pressure. No pressure, none whatsoever. So I had to reteach myself algebra one, geometry, and eventually algebra two, and I taught off and on in Los Angeles 
public high schools and with other programs with this company, um, part-time mostly, uh, for the next several years until finally my wife and I decided we wanted to have kids, so one or more of us needed benefits. So I ended up going into management and becoming uh, a manager of a team of 50 tutors and in in-home and in-school teachers. And that's what led me kind of forward in the uh, what I like to call supplemental education business. Mm-hmm. You know, managing tutors, managing tutoring centers, like competitors for us, like a Sylvan or a tutoring club, places like that. And that led me here, and it's not at all where I started out uh, when I first went to college. Like, the theater major got me here, and I'm not sure how that happened. Like, I just said it, and I still don't understand it. Well, <laughs> it's, it's really interesting that our stories are so similar, that we went to college for something that is now vaguely relevant to what we're doing, but it was that journey through multiple steps right. that got us to where we are now. Yes, yes. So, uh, And at the end of his days, my dad would tell everybody, my son the teacher, and was extremely proud of that and supported me the whole way. And so it wasn't, so I've talked to a lot of students where you know the parents start out sounding a lot like the way my dad sounded, which was, this is what you're going to do and here's my plan for you. But unlike a lot of, students who struggle with parents who are not necessarily supportive when the plan goes awry. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad was very flexible. My mom was very flexible and just kind of went with me. And and they were proud of me no matter what I accomplished, so long as as I was gainfully employed. Like, living out of my car, you know, on the street was not where they wanted me to end up. So anything that was not that was okay by them. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, that is really nice to be supportive. I feel... I feel, um, I don't know what the right word is. It, I feel bad for families who can't find that balance where, um, and, I, and I, it's one of the questions that I often ask here, again, as a hiring manager, especially for the college counselors, how do you work with families who have different goals? The parents have different goals for the student. And how can, how do, because I think at some point it's, um, it's, it's definitely a conversation with the families. It, it's maybe not something they want to talk about, but, right. they, but they need to. Right. The parents can't just say, this is what you're doing, because then the student is sort of not owning their part in the process. But, well, but I think that the other side of that is the student <coughs> has to be honest. A lot of students guess their parents. They feel like to avoid the argument, because who wants to argue? Who wants mm-hmm. to argue with mom? Who wants to argue with dad? Especially Nobody if wants. they're paying. Right, right. If mom and dad are paying for college... Even if there are some scholarships on the line, you know, just getting you there, just paying for your clothes, even if you get a full scholarship, mom and dad are still involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to have that argument. But being honest and saying, you know, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in this type of career, and I'm interested in this type of major. I think they can have the conversation we're having, which is you can get a job out of college with an English major. You can get a job out of college with a history major. You can get a job out of college with a theater major. Um, theater for me was the perfect uh, place to learn about uh, running a classroom. When you're directing a play and you're working with actors, uh, especially actors of different levels of experience, that's very similar to managing a classroom. All of my classroom management experience came not from my master's of education degree that I received much later in life after I'd been a teacher for 10, 12 years. Uh, I didn't do a master's of education right away like you did. I did it much later. Mm-hmm. It came from directing plays. So that was very informative for me. Uh, doing theater 
learning how to break down scripts taught me how to teach English classes, taught me how to do math problems, how to break down a math problem. is come, That, for me, I never took math in college. I didn't get a master's in math. I don't have a formal math education. It's all self-taught. But my ability to teach math comes out of my ability to break down a script and break things down into their composite parts that I learned in theater history, theater literature, directing class, acting class. That's what makes me, in my opinion, the math teacher I am today. And you can get a job with that. And having that conversation is, I think, the first step. Telling your parents, no, mom and dad, I don't want to be a doctor like you want me to be. I don't want to be a lawyer like you want me to be, although that's great. I want to, you know, be uh, an anthropologist and, and you know, live with uh, the, the, the tribes people in this country across the world and, and learn about that and write about that and be an advocate for them. And I want to take, you know, major in Swahili in college. Well, there are jobs there. Or I don't know what I want to do yet, but I'm pretty sure it's not that. Right. My my uncle, um, my uncle went to Dartmouth, and he was a teacher, um, a college professor, and a high school teacher for a long time. I think he, he taught at um, some of the private schools in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. When I told him that I was getting a master's in education, he was furious. He was furious because he said the only way to know how to be a teacher is to be a teacher. You have to teach to know how to be a teacher. Right. <laughs> and. What he didn't understand is that the rules had changed a little bit, and you now needed a certific- certification and a right. and, and or a degree. Um, but it was it was a it was an attack. I felt you know my uncle my uncle was right. very outspoken and very strong willed, and he it, it was really hard for me to stand up to that. But I felt stronger for the decision I had made once right. I was able to voice the defense for that choice that I. And made. it's not that he was wrong. I mean, he's right. The only way to learn how to teach is to teach. But on the other hand, he was wrong in the sense that you were right in that you needed those steps by law in whatever state you were mm-hmm. in. So I think the mistake he made was phrasing it as that attack. I think having a conversation saying, that's great and all, but you're never truly going to be comfortable teaching until you actually teach, right. I think probably would have been a more productive, constructive way to express that. Yes. Um, well, he, he, he was... He lived out loud. He was very direct and didn't really, you know, this was just his, this was his reality. Right. And, you know, he was able to teach right out of school because he was super smart and because it was a private school. And, right. Um, and what I think he, he finally understood was the value of taking the time to learn how to be a teacher by going to school to learn how to be a teacher because it involves lots of practical experience. Right. And again, that's, that's probably teaching. different from back in the day. And that's a yep. big issue with um, parent-student relationships is just as uh, many students uh, feel that, you know, in the, in the immortal words of the Fresh Prince, parents just don't understand. <laughs> uh, that may very well be true, but student, kids just don't understand that the parents have lived a life mm-hmm. and that their experience as parents, as adults, is perfectly valid. It might not be perfectly accurate to what's happening right this minute as you and your uncle experienced but both sides have a valid point of view and it's about expressing that and coming to a place of understanding if not even agreement doesn't sure. have to be agreement it just has to be a place of understanding i think that's the benefit that both we had in that your dad said just do what you're going to do you're going to find your place and my parents while my parents had a headed plan for me that has nothing to do with what my life is right now they were very adaptive to that mm-hmm. they and when i, I expressed uh, what I wanted to do. And I, I wasn't always clear, I admit. Uh, I had a student 
uh, actually yesterday, who I was working uh, on some college application process step. And she says, I, I want to do this major. My parents don't want me to do that. When did you tell your parents that you were going to be a theater major? And I said, uh, out the window of a car as I was driving away from home back to school one day uh, from summer break. It was August, and I yelled out the window, oh, by the way, I'm dropping my pre-law major, and I'm going to be a theater major. See you in a couple of weeks. And I took off. And when I got to the dorm, uh, we had old-school-style phones with uh, answering service, and there were five messages from my mom saying, what did you say? <laughs> did you say you're dropping free law? What did you say? So I had five messages waiting for me because I literally yelled it out of a window. But it was communication. It was not the best way to do it. I don't recommend that. But it also but. sounds like they handled it well. See, that's one of the things. I remember yes. <laughs> loosely related is when I moved out of the house after graduate school. And I was so afraid of telling my mother that I was leaving because my mother was living alone. And I didn't want, I thought that she would be upset that I was moving out. And in the, on the contrary, she like was like, good. Helped me pack, and sometimes the, those those announcements that we're so afraid of making actually our parents are a lot more understanding than we give them credit for. Yes, yes. And the other uh, one time I told my parents about uh, changing majors or some other similar uh, thing that I was going to do was I literally invited three or four friends over so they couldn't yell at me in front of my friends, and they didn't end up wanting to yell at me. They were just like, "Oh, okay, we figured that was coming." It's like a public place announcement. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. like you, you say it in public so that the, so the people won't yell. But luckily, they, they did not have the inclination to do so. They're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we figured. So that was a very similar announcement. So. Yes. But again, it's about communication. You've got to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to be able to understand that not everything is going to line up perfectly right away. That if you pick a major or a path that you're not sure about but you're going to enjoy you're yeah. not sure where it might lead but you're going to enjoy it and you're right. going to be good at it it'll lead somewhere right i mean my my goal to be a teacher was not my primary goal i mean i went into theater and eventually did some film work because that's where i was leaning at first and attempting and having some successes and quite a few failures uh the, the world of theater and film is a lot of rejection uh you know and a lack of a paycheck mm -hmm. led me to teaching more more and more, and making that more and more of my professional income earning life. Um, and while, so now I'm still involved in that, I'm making a podcast uh, and directing short plays at a local theater. But that's not my primary income right now. My primary income right now is teaching. So, and that's great because I love doing it. And it is very similar to what I've always wanted to do. So, a happy, good path. Is not necessarily. Oftentimes, you don't end up where you thought you were going to, but it's still, still a place where you're happy to be. Mm -hmm. I think. Yep. If you're always making choices that, um, one of the uh, people that I hired, and I said, you know, hopefully, what we'll do is we will find you a job that you like a lot of, but maybe not all of, and then you know, in a year, we'll take. Well, what do you want to do more of? And we'll move into more of what you want to do and less of what you don't want to do. And I talk to my kids about that as well. As you grow older, you'll make more choices, hopefully, that will give you more of what you want and less of what you don't want. So the fun, hopefully you do find the job. Right. But in the meantime, you are gradually getting yourself into a place where you're happier, as happy as you can be, um, and uh, whether or not it's where you thought you were going to end up. Well, Christy, thank you so much. This has been a really enlightening conversation. I've had a lot of fun here today. My pleasure, Jason. Anytime. So this was episode three of the Endeavor U podcast. Uh, 
If you enjoyed your podcast, your listening experience, please uh, subscribe to the podcast. And we are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other services in the podcast app of your choice on the platform of your choice. If you like the podcast, please remember to uh, like or comment, especially in iTunes, because it's really important there. Um, thank you so much, and let's keep learning. <laughs>